35-verse psalm. And as you guys know, I'm not accustomed to going through 35 verses, so we're going to uh, see how this goes tonight. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we'll be able to get, get through this. I'm not giving all the detail on each verse that uh, I, ha I normally do with the shorter psalms. But uh, th this is a, a great psalm of praise and, and, and worship of the Lord uh, that, that celebrates his protection and his deliverance of his people. Uh, rather than reading the entire psalm, we're just going to read the uh, first um, the first 14 verses. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read verse, verses 1 through 14 of Psalm 68, and then we'll get into the teaching together. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. By his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O oh God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it, you, O oh God, provided from your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zaman. Father, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts as we go through this psalm together. I pray, Lord, that each one of our hearts would just be open to you. Might your spirit be with us to teach us, to lead us into your truth. Lord, to bring words of encouragement and, and, and Lord, to bring us understanding of these words that we're reading tonight, Lord. We need his help. We need his uh, the, the enlightening of, of, of our hearts and minds by him, Lord, tonight. And so, Lord, just have your way. Be praised and glorified in this place and in every heart. We love you and thank you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we see in the inscription here this evening, uh, like th those of the past several psalms, uh, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song uh, and so this is intended both for reading as well as singing. Uh, uh, 
within the congregation. In terms of a, um, a, a particular occasion upon which David wrote this, uh, we, we don't have one given to us in the inscription, uh, but based on the content of the psalm, there can be a few possibilities. Um, it could be a victory song sung at a particular uh, victory procession back to the city of Jerusalem after winning a, a war against uh, an, an enemy. Uh, it would fit the context. The context of this would, would fit that kind of a situation. Or, or it could just be a, a, a general song of victory um, given by the Lord because he gave many victories to the people of Israel. could just be a general song. Or some have seen, and um, I, I like this thought, uh, some have seen that it could have been sung uh, by David, this particular song written by David, uh, when the ark was moved to Jerusalem. Um, uh, back, back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, we see these words. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. We'll just stop there for a moment. He had, he had planned to uh, move the ark uh, to the city of David. Uh, but you'll recall just the chapter just before this, um, or actually in the chapter just before this, uh, as the ark was moving, one of those who was in charge of moving the ark by the name of Uzzah, uh, saw the ark, or, or saw the cart kind of start to topple a little bit, and in order to protect the ark from falling to the ground, he reached out and touched it. And as he touched the ark, not being a priest, in fact, it wasn't even handled. The ark wasn't even handled the way that uh, the the uh, 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 Mosaic law is given by the Lord through Moses said it ought to be done with with priests bearing it on the rods and everything. Um, he was stricken dead by the Lord. And so David said, well, you know what? We're just going to leave it right here. We're going to put it in, in the house of, of uh, Obed-Adam, the, the Gittite. And there we go. Well, let's move forward now. Let's, let's continue reading. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And we need to read further on in Second Samuel 6 there to, to see some details on, uh, on, on how that took place the, the, the second time. But... Um, bottom line is, even as we see the reality of uh, this man's home being blessed as the ark was there, we, we must remember that the ark uh, was symbolic of the presence of God. And, and so the, the blessing of God on that home for the presence of God was. That, that, that's, that's what we see there in that particular passage. And so... Taking that line of thought as we look through this 68th Psalm, this being sung as the ark was, was moving toward Jerusalem and closer and closer to 
the uh, tabernacle that David had prepared for the ark to uh, reside in, I, I, I think it can make some sense as, as we move forward. The psalm begins, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, that those also who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away, so drive them away as wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Now the, these first words in the first verse um, are reminiscent of what we see in Numbers 10.35. Uh, this, this was um, the words of Moses uh, whenever the ark would set out from the tabernacle. You, you'll recall in the Old Testament that whenever uh, the, the men went to war, the ark of the covenant went before them. And they, they wanted, you know, the presence of God with them during battle, of course. And, and so that, that's what they did. But in Numbers 10.35... Those words read this way. So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. I mean, it, almost exactly the same words. So David took those thoughts from Numbers 10, uh, 35, to, to begin this particular psalm, as it was a, 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 a the, these words being a, a song of, of, of victory, uh, almost like a, a battle cry in, in some ways. And, and yet, with the presence of God existed the reality of his protection of his people. And of course, at this time, as uh, whether it was in the time of Moses, especially here in David's time, there was just a lot of wars going on between Israel and the nations around them. Just a, a lot of that taking place. And so, very fitting that he would say this. And, and, and David, in his love for God, he wanted the, the Lord to have a, a resting place in the city of David, which technically isn't Jer uh, Jerusalem, just outside it. But uh, that's where he wanted him to be, close to where the people were, of course. Um, so David uses this language uh, from... Moses, and a couple of illustrations, you know, as, as, as the smoke is driven away, and obviously by wind, you know, so drive them away, as, as wax melts before the, the, the fire, would you do your work in, in, in melting the, the, those who are wicked, you know, just cause them to perish, you know, those who are not, who do not belong to God, those of other nations, those who are God's enemies, of course, is who he's speaking about. Then in verse 3, but let the righteous be glad. Let the righteous be glad as the dwelling, or as, as the presence of God, I should say, comes into the city of Jerusalem. Let, let the righteous rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. So this idea of, of, of rejoicing and praising God uh, our praise of God should be joyful, shouldn't it? should always be joyful because of the joy that he brings, the, the gifts that he has given, the blessings that he's poured out upon us, the way that we, we experience his grace. That is something that ought always be taking place. 
that we ought to praise him with a great deal of joy. And the whole idea of the Ark of the Covenant and the idea of, of us when we come into church on a, on, a, on a regular basis. You know, now we, when we, we come to the house of God. We call, we, we, we call this church. It's a, just, it's a building. We are the church, but this is where the, we as a church gather to, to praise our God, but we gather with him present with us. And, of course, we know that in his presence is the fullness of joy. So, yes, we should indeed praise with, with exceeding joy, as David suggests here. Going on in verse 3. but let, uh, We just did verse 3, excuse me. Um, you know, you know Beginning in verse 4, let's read verses 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. By his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Yah is just a, a shortened uh, uh, way to write out Yahweh, uh, to, to say Yahweh. And, and uh, I, I read one writer who said that it represents the, uh, uh, the concentration of, of who he is as a person in, in his godhood. You know, it's just, just a shortened and a concentrated version kind of a thing, but that, that, that's, that's the idea behind that. Uh, rejoice before him. Once again, rejoice before him. Verse 5, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary and families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The one who rides upon the clouds. Now, some translations read that differently. It, it, it reads, cast up a highway. Rather than um, extol him, you know, extol him would be basically lifting up, but cast uh, up a highway for him who rides through the deserts. So the, the, the picture of that being uh, of a, a, a king whose way is being prepared through the wasteland for him by the servants beforehand. So in, 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 a, in a desert place, no roads, it's a crooked place and so forth, they come and prepare the way for the king to go. That, that, that's, that's the idea behind that particular uh, uh, um, translation. And, and in the Gospels, of course, uh, there's a reference to Isaiah 40, verse 3, which reads, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that reference, of course, is made to John the Baptist as the one who prepares the way for Jesus the Messiah. But we see here in verses 5 and 6 that the ministry of God to those who have need, those who really in their own weakness, cannot help themselves. And, and, and there's something... Well, well, let's just look at this once again. We see that God helping those in need, the fatherless. He's, he is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows. And both the fatherless and the widow have no one to take care of them. And so 
God does. He takes care of his people who have this kind of need. And, and, and this is just the, the, the overarching idea behind those words, you know, a father of the fatherless and, and, and uh, a uh, defender of, of widows um, because they need someone to care for them. They need someone to stand up for them. They need someone to provide for them. And that's what God does. And, of course, that speaks to us as well in, in the sense of how ought we to act toward others around us. And, you know, we, we are to help those who need help. We're to be of service to those who can't help themselves. I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but I remember years ago, I heard somebody say, well, it's totally not biblical. You know how people will spout out unbiblical things and say, well, this is what God says, you know, kind of, one of those kinds of things. But, but uh, this person said, well, God helps those who help themselves. Well, this person did not know the Bible at all. You know, God helps those who have need. You know, in fact, those who claim and admit that they have need, because one of the things that God wants for all of us is to, to rely on him and depend on him. Because he has strength that we don't. He's able to do things that we can't. He gives us the ability and the strength to do things that apart from him, we can't. And so we, we need to trust and rely and depend on him for everything. But as we, uh, we see in verse 6, God sets the solitary in families. This would be basically the solitary person is a person without a family. Um, and he gives them a family. He puts them into a family. Uh, he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. He sets the captives free. He loosens the chains, right? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Those who will not bow to him, those who will not honor him as God, those who will not worship him and praise him as God are left to themselves. So he's not going to bring them out of the dry land. He lets them remain there. You know, and, and while he loves that person, that person needs to come to, a, to a, a realization of his or her own need for him. You know, and that, that's why we need to be talking about things like the reason that Jesus really came, you know, to take away the sin of the world. We need to talk about sin with people. Because, I mean, even as we're going to be celebrating communion in, in just a little while, you know, um, the Lord Jesus came for the purpose of taking away the sin of the world. John the Baptist introduces him this way, that, that way. And uh, we can't get rid of our sin on our own. You know, a reformed life is just not going to cut it because we can't. We don't have the power. We, we, we need a new life. So God does for us what we can't do for ourselves in, in the sense of saving us from our sin. And so some, some very uh, um, powerful things that have to do with, with these ideas of God helping those who need help, those who can't help themselves. And on a spiritual level, that applies to every single one of us, doesn't it? Because we cannot, we cannot do anything that would qualify us
to enter into God's presence that would qualify us for eternal life with Him, not in the least. Verse 7. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, so we have this pause. Think about this. The earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Notice the, 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 the statements about the presence of God and what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? You, O God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. So we see these verses really speaking of the glory of God's presence and the goodness of his provision. Uh, verses 7 and 8 echo the song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5. In verses 4 and 5, that's what this, this is a part of that song. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. The means by which God uh, uh, intervened and helped his people is what we see there. But th th these words are re reminiscent of that. Uh, when you went out before your people and you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook. The, the, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of, of God. And th these, uh, th th these words speak about the idea of God's presence and the... Um, awe of being in his presence. A little bit later we're going to see that this word awesome is used over in the very last verse, the verse 35. You, oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. And we've talked about that word the last couple of weeks, you know, and, you know, we, we need to continue to just understand what that word, you know, means in the sense of how uh, serious and powerful the word is. It's a word that's, that speaks about the terror that comes to those who see God in his power who don't belong to him and will be subjects of the, the, that, the wrath of God being poured out upon them. You know, and, and it's just the, uh, a, a very clear word that speaks about uh, being terrifying. And, and again, as I said to you the last couple of weeks, in, in the uh, King James Version uh, of, of the Bible, when we see this word awesome, you know, it's normally translated with the word terrible. Terrible. Um, you are more terrible than your holy places. You know, it, it just speaks about the terror that he brings as a judge. We as believers, we need to be careful that we don't remove that aspect of the person of God from him. He is judge. 
and he will judge. We just have the comfort level of knowing that because Jesus took our sins upon himself and he was judged for our sin, we don't have to worry about that judgment. You know, certainly not the great white throne judgment, but there are judgments that are pronounced. I mean, there are things that, that he sees, and, and so we, we have to go through some uh, chastising at times, being disciplined at times by God be, because of that, but those kinds of judgments. You know, our works are going to be judged, you know, and those that are pure for those, for those things, we're going to receive rewards. It's not eternal life, but other kinds of rewards, you know, uh, crowns and so forth that we'll be able to just heap in, uh, at, at God's feet you know, casting crowns before him and so forth. And, but, but judgment does take place. And yet, there's a reality and that, that but for the grace and the mercy of God, we too would be judged. I think we always have to remember that. It's only because of God's grace and mercy that we, that we are not. In verses 9 and 10 here, in fact, verse, verse 9 uh, um, we, we see that Sinai is mentioned. Uh, Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the, the God of Israel. You remember when, in the book of Exodus, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And there was this thick cloud cover that covered the mountain. There was lightning and thunder and earthquaking and, and, and all this stuff going on. And the Lord has told Moses, set a boundary at the base of the, of the mountain so nobody comes. But nobody wanted to go near it anyway because they were afraid. And th that idea, that, that kind of a terror, that, 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 that awesomeness of God as, as, as was displayed there. And, uh, you know, they, the people uh, of Israel told Moses, you know, as he came down from that, he said, you know, uh, you go and you talk to God. You hear what he has to say. We don't, want to, we don't want any part of this. You come back and just tell us, and we're good, and we'll, we'll just do it. You know, I mean, they, they didn't want to be near that presence, you know, because of the fear that it brought. But uh, there, there was this, in, in all of this, we, we, we see that it was a um, time in Israel, of course, with Moses being gone for so long, for 40 days, they got, they got weary, and they, they asked Aaron to build a golden calf, and remember that story, and how Moses asked him, a golden calf? And goes, yeah, Moses, all I did, I just threw the jewelry into the pot, and a calf jumped out, you know? <laughs> and it's like, why he thought his brother would buy that line, I don't know. You know, it's like, anyway. Silly thing, silly thing. But the point being, the, the awesome terror of God and, and just the cloud and the mountain and the thunder and the lightning and all that took place, it was terrifying to the people. So, so we see the, the, that, that element uh, as, as a part of all this. Now, verses 9 and 10. You, O God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. Here we see a celebration of, of God's goodness, really. You, God, sent a plentiful rain. Uh, the pulpit commentary reads like this here. Uh, not a literal rain, 
but a shower of blessings, manna, quails, water out of the rock, protection against enemies, victories, etc. Just a, a shower of, of uh, blessings that, that came upon them. And we see here that David says it was all provided from your goodness for the, for the poor. The way that God treats the poor, those who don't have, with, through his goodness, great provision was made for them. It brings to mind Philippians 4.19. Paul writing to the church in Philippi saying, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, and I, I love the context of that fourth chapter because we see uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, writing in the first in, earlier uh, about um, how we, we, we need to have contentment with whatever God has given to us. You know, and, and uh, uh, a verse we're going to be looking at in just a few minutes, but and it's a very popular verse among us, Philippians 4.13, right? I can, therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and, and that's in the context of uh, having nothing. Paul, Paul had said, I've learned to, 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 to live with a lot. I've learned to live with a, with a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and, and so that's the idea behind that. And, and so contentment, very, very important, important. And we see that Paul goes on to encourage the Philippians and, and us as well. He wasn't intending it for us, but the Holy Spirit was. Uh, we're encouraged by understanding that God is going to supply all our needs according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hands or shake your head or anything, but have you ever been somewhat puzzled by God when he doesn't give you something that you need? It's something that we can do. But I think we have to ask the question, based on these kinds of statements. Again, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, okay? Well, if that's true, then that tells me that all my needs are being met by him. If I'm, if I'm perceiving that I have a need that's not being met, as I'm, as I'm speaking to the Lord, it's like, Lord, why aren't you giving? I, I, I need this, Lord. I, I, I need this. Well, if he's going to supply all my need, and he hasn't given me this thing that I believe I need, do I really need it? Or is it just a misconception? Just perception on my part. It's a, what we might call a felt need but not an actual need. For example, your washing machine breaks down and you can't get it fixed. 
can't find anybody to fix it. You don't have you don't have the money to to, to buy a new one. Lord, I I I need a washing machine. Well, okay. Do we really need a washing machine? I mean, do we have to have a washing machine? Well, I need clean clothes. Really, do we need clean clothes even? Well, I get when we first put them on, it'd be nice if they're clean. How many people in the world don't have any of that stuff and survive? I mean, you know what I mean? So it's this idea of God being faithful to meet all our needs. I don't have something that I think I need. Since I don't have it, I'm only thinking I need it. I guess I don't really need it. Okay, Lord, pour out your grace. I don't have it. I sure would like it. I mean, you know, I mean, that kind of a thing. Just understand that if I, if I really needed it, I would have it because he's going to supply all my need according to his riches. And one of the things that we see, we don't have time to, to go to the passage that's very familiar to us in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in Matthew 6 talks about uh, how, you know, the, the food and clothing that, that, that he gives to us, you know, that, that we're to be seeking him for those for, for first the kingdom of God, and then he supplies us all these other things. And it's always been fascinating to me that what, what Jesus deals with is clothes and food. doesn't say anything about shelter. Have you noticed that? Now, it's Israel. You know, not a lot of cold weather in Israel. Some places you go up into the mountains, Mount Hermon, for example, it gets kind of cold up there. But, you know, I mean, the Mediterranean climate, much similar to Southern California, you know. Um, it's just interesting to me that he doesn't deal with shelter. Okay, let's continue on. Verse 11. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee. Now, note that, I mean, the, the, the prayer that was uh, prayed by David early on in the second verse, as smoke is driven away, so drive them away, as wax melts before the fire, so that the wicked perish at the presence of God. So, I mean, there, there's this fleeing that's taking place uh, here in verse 12. Uh, the armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie among the sheepfolds, you'll be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalmon. Here we see the Lord's victories being celebrated by David. And as he's... Um, and we see in, in 2 Samuel that he, he dances before the uh, Ark of the Covenant as it's, as it's uh, being taken into Jerusalem and so forth. But, but there's, there's a reality to the fact that, that in the past and even up to that time, whether it's under uh, King um, Saul's reign or under his own reign that God had given Israel many victories. And, and, and so as the Lord gives word, 
that's got to be reference to the fact that the, the, that David would pray and say, Lord, sh should I should I take this city? Is this something that you want us to do? And the Lord would say, yes, I, I, I'm giving this into your hands. And so he, he goes in and takes the city because the Lord says, so God gave the word. You know, that, that, that's, that, that's where that's coming from. And, and great was the company, the, 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 the host of those who proclaim it. So many people just, just speaking of the fact that God has given the, this, this city to us, this, this nation to us, whatever it may be. And then the kings of armies fleeing. Um, it, uh, speaking, of course, about the victory of the people of uh, the victory of the people, people of victory uh, of Israel at the hands of God. Um, she who remains at home divides the spoil. This is speaking of, you know, the women who are at home, the wives of the soldiers, the, of the warriors that doing battle. They stay home, they care the, take care of the house, take care of the kids, do whatever they have to do. And, and then when, when the men come back from war with the spoils of war, she's able to, to, to enjoy the, those, those spoils of war. Uh, it, it's what this is speaking of. And then verse 13, it's an interesting verse. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you'll be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, or that, that could mean uh, saddlebags. Um, it's a, another person who's not out at war, but, but at home. It, it could be... I mean, some people take this as, you know, well, that's not right. Somebody who doesn't go to battle, they're just lying down among the sheepfolds. I mean, they're just staying home. I mean, is this one, one of the lazy men who refused to go? I mean, how, how is it that he's going to be rewarded? I mean, you know, you'll be like wings of a dove covered with silver. I mean, that doesn't work, does it? I, I don't believe that's what it's talking about. It's speaking about those who can't go for some reason. Uh, it could be speaking of some women who are taking care of this kind of business, or maybe some men who maybe they, they, they have some kind of an injury, they can't go, some kind of a deformity, they can't go, or older men who are beyond the age of war, whatever. It, it fits in here with the whole idea of as you take the last part of verse 12 and then verse 13, it's like those who remain home, much like when da David was out to war, he took a certain amount of men with him to do battle, and he left a certain amount of men at, at the campsite to guard, guard the possessions. They received the same kind of benefit in terms of the spoils of war that the guys who actually did the fighting did. You know, and, and so it's the same, same idea. Those who are at home are going to experience the blessing of the spoils of war that the men who are warriors are fighting for. So, uh, or what they receive when they when they and then doing the battle, so that that's that, that's something I think that really fits in with that. And verse fourteen, when the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalman, or it was as snow in Zalman. Zalman or Salmon, and the, I mean the way it spells like salmon, the fish, but Salmon no, Salmon uh, was a wooded area near uh, the city of Shechem, and it would seem to mean that as, as God scatters the kings, 
it was as snow in Selman, in a wooded, uh, hill, hilly area, snow falls on it and a fresh snow, the way that it glistens in the sunlight and so forth. Uh, could it mean that when God scatters the kings and there's dead bodies on the ground, but there's the, there's the armament and there, there are uh, 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 swords and, and chariots and, and, and shields and and yet, as they're scattered about, they too will glisten in the sunlight from a distance. You know, I mean, could mean that that that's what he's talking about there. Um, that's probably what it is, we, but it's 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 hard to know for sure exactly. Verse fifteen. Let's go forward. Verse fifteen to nineteen. A mountain of God is a mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Now, Bashan is a, is a are some peaks to the east of the Jordan that not a part of Israel, but uh, beautiful mountains with, with several peaks uh, to it. Um, Jerusalem itself, Mount Zion, nothing like that. That's part of the point of what all this is. But look at verse 16. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Uh, in other words... Though, though you, Bashan, are so much higher and have so many more peaks and, and much more majestic than Mount Zion in and of itself, the glory that you have is nothing compared to Mount Zion because God has chosen to dwell there. That's what we see there. And that... That should cause us to kind of step step back and pause for a moment, guys. The uh, the whole idea that, you know, it, it's it's not it's not the blessing of the physical thing that's so great. He may bless us in many ways physically, but it's his presence with us that is wor worth most. It, it's his presence that brings the glory. It's not. They're not having a nice home, and you know, I know he blesses us with these kinds of things, but there's a point being him, he himself, his presence with us, the gift that he gives of himself to us, that's of invaluable worth and glory. And so David, you know, speaks to the mountain, and goes, why are you jealous? Well, the glory you have is nothing compared to Zion because God chose here to dwell, not there. Not there. God's presence. And just mindful of, you know, the question that can be asked, you know, in, in fact, as we, we might talk about heaven a bit and what's heaven going to be like, and we can talk about the streets of gold and, you know, what the new Jerusalem is going to look like and the gates and the, and, and, and the, the walls and so forth, the pearls, whatever, all, all the stuff, and and, and, and yet, there's not a whole lot described to us. I mean, not really. What's it going to be like? Well, I, I, I think we do have to come to the conclusion that, you know, heaven is going to be great. You know, all that's cool, you know, streets of gold, and that, that's a cool thing. It speaks of, about how it's not valued in heaven like it is here, but beautiful. What makes heaven so great is because God's there. He's there. That's why we want to be there. 
not because of the palace that he's making for us, but because he's going to be there. So, verse, uh, verse uh, 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. Now, now, now we're seeing here um, what looks like a... And this is where this could fit with, 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 with the reason this is being written. The, the idea of a procession of... The, the, the victory procession of the army coming into the city after the victory. The, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. You've ascended on high. You've led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might, might dwell there, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Now, It does speak. It, it does seem that this could be the procession after a victory, you know, with the chariots and the captivity and all that. Um, or it could fit where it, it's a procession headed into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. You know, there we we don't see in Second Samuel that there were. You know, the, the, the warriors were there with them and, and that they had their chariots and they had, you know, everything like they would have in that kind of a procession after, after a battle, after a war. But, you know, it could have been. You know, I mean, we, we can't say that there was because the word doesn't say that. But could have been, possibly. And so entering into the city with the presence of God, with the Ark of the Covenant... In verse 19, I'm sorry, um, yeah, verse 19, we, we see these words. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. Daily loads us with benefits. Uh, some other translations, the, uh, this way the New King James Version reads, the NASV and the ESV read like this, who, who daily bears our burdens, which would seem to fit the context better, especially uh, the following line, the God of our salvation. He's the God who delivers us. The idea of salvation is being delivered, right? The deliverance that comes from him. Selah. So it, it seems that that, that that would fit either, but either way, it, it works in the sense of who God is and what he does for us. Daily loading us with benefits. That reminds us of John 1.16, which says, and of his fullness, speaking of Jesus, we have all received and grace for grace or grace upon grace. Grace piled upon grace, piled upon grace, loaded with the benefits from God, right? I mean, it fits. It fits in, in the sense of who God is. Um, but also, I mean, certainly he does bear our burdens. First um, Peter 5, 7 says that we are to cast all our care upon him for he cares for you. Casting all the burdens that we have, all of our cares upon him, because he cares for us. And certainly, Jesus 
bore the weight of our sin. He does indeed um, bear our sin. He bears our burden in a very real way. So those are ways that we can, we can see that. Uh, and going on, our God is the God of salvation, verse 20, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. When I was reading this earlier in the week, I read that second, ver- that, that, that second line in that 20th verse, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. I thought, okay, I was trying to make sense of that. Belong escapes. Some, some word doesn't belong there, it seemed like to me. Well, the word escapes is not a verb. It's a noun. So, to God belong escapes or deliverances from death. He's the one that brings deliverance. That's what this is saying. And so, as he is the God of our salvation, he is the one who brings deliverance. He's the one who rescues us. He's the one who causes us to escape, you know, unscathed, perhaps, from various situations. He's the one that does that. Now, verse 21 to 23. But God will wound the head of his enemies the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. Very very simply put, you know, these verses speak about how God protects his people, but he um, pours out his wrath upon those who, who aren't his people protecting his own people from them. That's basically what what this is speaking of. Verse 24. Through verse 27. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations. The Lord from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin, their leader, the princes of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. So the procession, David writes of, the procession of my God, my king, into the sanctuary. They're, they're headed to the tabernacle that David had prepared to receive the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so the procession, people watching the procession taking place. And a lot of praise, a lot of worship uh, going on. The, the singing and, and, you know, the guitar players and, and the maidens playing the timbrels or the, you know, the, 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 the uh, um, various, various tools that, that, that were being used, various instruments that were being used. So, so, so we see that scene of the people going into Jerusalem toward that, that sanctuary or toward that tabernacle. And, and, and David just simply writes of the great praise that is to be offered to God for who he is and what he's done. Uh, the, the, the worship and praise that accompanies God in his sanctuary. And we, when we come into this building, you know, again, we, we've cited it already before, but we're here to, to worship and praise our God. You know, it, it's a worship service. You know, it's something that is to be 
just the, the, the basic element of what we're doing. This is a part of it, bowing before his word and, and being fed his word, wanting to, to learn who he is, learn more about him so that we can love him more deeply and serve him more effectively and so forth, of course. But it, it's all about worship. It's all about worship and praise of our God. And David mentions there's Benjamin. There's little Benjamin, their leader. Benjamin was the smallest of all the tribes of, of, of Israel. But also it was from Benjamin that God chose the first king, King Saul. He was a Benjamite. And so that's why he said their leader, the first king, their leader came from uh, the tribe of Benjamin. But he's basically speaking, although he doesn't mention all of the 12 tribes, of course, he just mentions these three, but, you know, this is symbolic of everyone being there. Everyone being there, a part of this procession. And, and little Benjamin, that tribe that, that those who were part of it felt like, you know, that, you know, we're, we're not much, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, and uh, you know, one reason that Saul hesitated in receiving what God had for him, but he did so, and too bad it didn't work out as well as it could have. But point being, just a small, um, small tribe. The princes and, 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 and of the other tribes, Judah and Zebulun, being there as well, as well as Naphtali. So the four of them are mentioned there. Verse 28, your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls, and uh, with the calves of the peoples, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver, bringing their tribute to him. That's, what, that's the point. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. And this is speaking of the future reign of Jesus Christ in the millennial time, in that thousand-year period of Jesus ruling and reigning. And finally, verses 32 to, 36, to 35. Sing praise to our God. That's, that's the idea here in these verses. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. Oh God, you're more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is who is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. And so ending with this, this, this wonderful praise to God and this this encouragement, uh, sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth, not, not just simply the people of Israel, but the kingdoms of the earth, you know, uh, um, in line with what we just saw with the millennial reign of Christ, of course, uh, to him who rides on the heaven of heavens, you know, and, and this is speaking of the fact that his rule is not just simply on earth, not just simply in, in Israel, not just simply on the entire earth, but the entire universe, you know, the, 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 into the heavens as well. 
In 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 27, we, we see King Solomon praying um, a prayer of dedication in the first time that they uh, went into the temple that he had built to worship God. So he prayed this prayer of dedication. And part of it we see in that verse 27 of chapter 8. He said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. And the, the, this idea of the heaven of heavens, you know, he rides on the heaven of heavens. It can't contain him. But that is where he dwells. There, there is no dwelling place, so to speak. And, and there also is the idea that, that he um, is more awesome, verse 35, more awesome than your holy places. Speaking of the tabernacle or speaking of Mount Sinai or, or, or speaking of Mount Hermon or whatever it may have been that where, where, where God did a particular thing and, and he showed his glory. You know, um, he himself is greater than, than any of these. Remember when, when uh, we, we see this toward the end of the Gospels in, in Matthew and in Luke both, that Jesus and the, and the apostles are leaving the temple and the apostles bring up, isn't this temple just so glorious? You know, it's such a wonderful building. Isn't this amazing to you as it is to us? And, and, and basically, he's, Jesus begins to tell them how the temple is going to fall. And all this to bring to our realization that that temple was destroyed for a reason. It was to give our attention to him. Because we can, we can, be, we can be too easily enthralled with things, things of grandeur. You know, we, we can. As if it's greater than the one who gave it to us. You know, I mean, we, we talk about mountains and so forth. You know, the Bashan, you know, the high mountain with the, with the peaks. You know, we, we have some beautiful mountains in our country. You know, um, we go up to Yosemite and see what's going on there, you know, and, wa and go to Wyoming and, and, and you see the, 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 uh, the, the great Tetons or the Grand Tetons, you know, and beautiful mountains. But it should do nothing less than cause us to glory in, in the God who gave those mountains to us, who gave, that, who gave this nature to us, this, this beauty to us. You know, none of it is as beautiful as him. None of it is as grand as him. None of it is as great as he is. And we just need to remember that. Ascribe Strength to God, His excellence is over Israel. Strength is in the clouds, you know. And and, and uh, again, a reference to His uh, uh, kingdom uh, uh, extending beyond the earth. And O oh God, You are more awesome than Your holy places, as as I just said. The the God of Israel is He who gives strength and power to His people. David writes that because the gods of the other nations are not like that. The gods of the other nations maintain their own strength and they keep their people down so that they can keep them in a place of worshiping them. Not that they're truly gods, they're not. And the gods of the peoples really were nothing more than, than demons 
who were wanting to torment the people more than anything. And so you see the oppression of those lands and of, of those nations. But God gives his people power and strength. Ephesians 3.16, Paul praying in this, in this chapter, prays that he, that the Lord would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Philippians 4.13, share that already. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Romans 5.6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Still without strength, meaning we had no power to be right with God. No power to save ourselves. No power that we might enter into heaven. No power to gain eternal life. But when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. At that right time. And we're going to celebrate that right now. We're going to celebrate communion. Um, Carlos, if you could go ahead and begin to pass out the... Uh, the emblems for that. Um, we're going to celebrate communion, remembering what he's done for us and, and the reality of what we just read out of Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that we, with a total lack of ability to do it, we were made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for the ungodly. I pray that we always remember that that we'll never get to a place where we're thinking that, well, we're doing pretty good now, Lord. I'm, you know, I, I can see why you chose me for yourself. You know, I mean, you know, that kind of a thing. You know, it, it's all his grace, all his grace. And if, if, if we're walking with him in, in a way that could be de defined as uh, well or accurately portraying him for who he is, it's all because of his grace. He's given us himself. And so we're, go we're going to go ahead and, and celebrate communion. Um, Crystal is going to lead us in a song. Then I'm going to be reading out of uh, 2 Corinthians 11, and then we'll go ahead and partake together.
the cross for I, I am made complete you have given me life through the death you bore for me that's a song my Yes, you've won my heart. Well, refreshes in for beauty, and wear forgiveness like a crown. You feet the feet of mercy. I lay like a crown as I go face to feet of mercy I lay every burden down foot of the cross
Amen. Reading from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning of verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul goes on and writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're going to pause now just for a moment, and I encourage you guys just to bear your hearts before the Lord silently within yourself as you pray. Uh, this is a time of remembrance. It is a time of uh, self-examination. A time of thankfulness as we consider what the Lord has done for us. So take a moment, um, seek the Lord, and in a moment I will pray and then we'll be able to partake together. Lord God, we are so thankful to you that you have done this. That Jesus, you went to that cross, having been sent by your Father to do so. You went out of obedience to him and out of love for us. For the joy that was set before you, you endured the pain, you endured the shame. the joy of eternity with us. Wow. God, thank you. Where we just lay ourselves down at your altar and we thank you for delivering us from our sin. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in such a way that is worthy of that somehow, is worthy of your name. Fill us with your spirit and give us his ability to serve. 
And Lord, as we were without ability to save ourselves, Lord, you did it for us. And now, Lord, we just say thank you. Now, Lord, would you bless this time as we partake of this uh, this bread symbolizing your body broken for us and this cup, the new covenant in your blood. Lord, thank you. Have your way in our hearts now, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.